0: grace upon grace this morning uh, my wife was feeding our kids breakfast and then all of a sudden my four-year-old out of nowhere goes mama i know exactly what grace is she goes oh yeah lukey what's grace he goes grace is if i don't pick up any of my toys and i don't obey you whatsoever i go to sleep and then i wake up the next morning and you cook me my favorite breakfast that's what grace is and that's basically what grace is that we've sinned we've fallen short we've done evil against God in spite of his good in spite of his love in spite of his mercy upon us he forgives us and not only do we not receive what we do deserve but then he gives us his goodness on top of it he gives us our favorite breakfast on top of all of that Chuck Smith, in this chapter, uh, one quote, look at a few quotes from the chapter. He says, I love to take, develop, remold, and rebuild lives that were a real wreck. Look at most of the Calvary Chapel ministers. Their lives were a real wreck. But look at how God has restored. And look at the wealth and value that have come out of these lives It's a beautiful work of God today to see what the world has cast off and viewed as hopeless wrecks to be transformed into glorious vessels of honor. We believe that having been forgiven, we need to be forgiving. Having received mercy, we must show mercy. Having received grace, we must be graceful. Showing and extending God's grace is an important part of Calvary Chapel ministry. When was the last time you showed and extended grace to someone else? And again, we really can't extend grace to someone else unless they've done something wrong towards us. And instead of giving them what they deserve, not only do we forgive them and not give them what they deserve, but then we give them goodness on top of that. Quick poll here tonight. Please raise your hand if you like and enjoy receiving any of the following. Receiving mercy. Anyone here enjoy receiving mercy, right? Receiving grace. Do we like receiving grace? Receiving forgiveness. Do we like receiving forgiveness? How about being restored? Receiving restoration? The difficult thing is that biblically, we receive many of these beautiful gifts of love to the same measure that we pour it out on other people. That, that's the hard part of it, right? The same pool. How many of us enjoy giving mercy? How many of us enjoy giving grace? How many of us enjoy f- forgiving someone else and restoring someone else? A few scriptures on this before we look at Galatians 6. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Our salvation is completely by the grace of God. The unmerited goodness of God that we can never, nor will we ever, be able to deserve or repay. In 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10 it tells us, But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Again, I used to say this scripture when I wasn't walking with the Lord to tell people, get off my back, right? Leave me alone. I am what I am. Just leave me alone. And it's taking it completely out of context. What Paul is telling to the church of Corinth is that I am who I am, because of God's unmerited goodness to my life. And because His unmerited goodness to my life is not a waste, I'm going to work harder than everyone else. And yet what I receive, the blessings of my life, it's not because of myself or my good works. But once again, it's because of God's unmerited goodness in my life. Another quote from Chuck Smith, says, We believe in seeking to restore those who have fallen. As Paul teaches the Galatians, we're going to look at in a moment, to restore, we'll read verse 1. Brethren, if any man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourselves, lest you also be tempted. "...bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ." Chuck Smith continues, says, "...I thank the Lord for the grace that I have received. And having received God's grace, I seek to extend it to others. I get angry at Satan when I hear of a gifted minister who has fallen. Those that have great abilities and great talents for the Lord seem to have a special target of Satan." And I'm just not willing to let Satan have that victory. I try to reclaim these men for the kingdom of God so that they might use their talents for the Lord. And that's exactly what Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. That if a man is overtaken in any trespass, the mature thing, right? Those who are spiritually mature are to restore someone who is overtaken in a trespass, In the spirit of gentleness. Considering themselves that we also are tempted. That we've also fallen short. That we've also sinned. That we also are deserving of hell for all of eternity. And yet God has given us His grace. Then verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That word restore there is the same word to reset a broken bone. To put things back in order, the same order that they once were in, and this is the charge for those who are spiritually mature: that when we see someone overtaken in sin, we're not to kick them while they're down, or not to say "Kru Ihraya, never again, I'm never going to talk to you again." Those who are spiritually mature should be seeking to restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Right? Can we not consider our good shepherd? How he tells us he has a flock of 100. He has 99 good sheep, right? 99 religious sheep in the fold. And where's that one knucklehead, right? He's gone and he's out. And Jesus doesn't just say, oh, that's attrition, laws of attrition, right? Jesus doesn't say, that's just the circle of life. The wolves got to eat too. Jesus goes out to find that one lost sheep. Warren Wiersbe says, Nothing reveals the wickedness of legalism better than the way the legalists treat those who have sinned. How do you treat other sinners? How do you treat other sinners? We should always consider how we want to be treated. That's somewhat biblical, isn't it, Right? That we're to love others the way we want to be loved. And then Jesus raises the bar and says, love others the way I have loved you. But what is this law of Christ? Let's go to Matthew chapter 22. And really, we cannot show grace or mercy unless our life is rooted and connected to Christ. And we're bearing the fruit of the Spirit, which is that agape love. But look at Matthew chapter 22. Verse 34, it tells us, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first And great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang the law and the prophets, all the law and the prophets. And we already took that poll. Each of us, we enjoy receiving mercy and grace and forgiveness and restoration. So if we're to fulfill the law, we need to love our neighbor as yourself. Are we dishing out that same amount of grace and mercy and forgiveness and restoration? Listen to a couple of these scriptures. Romans 13 verse 8 tells us, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Once again, fulfilling the law by loving one another. Galatians chapter 5 verse 14 for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. All the law. In First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9, it says, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. We could close the Bible study right now. God teaches each and every one of us that we should love one another. Deep in our gut, we know we are to forgive other people because we've been forgiven. And that's what's just. That's what's fair, that if we've been forgiven, we should forgive others as well. In John 13, we can turn there. We just talked about the law and the prophets, the law of God. Really, it's all encapsulated in loving God with everything you have and loving your neighbor as yourself. Then in John 13, verse 34 and 35, Jesus tells us, a new commandment I give to you, that you... Love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Again, this is the mark. This is the birthmark. This is that family, within your family, maybe it's a nose, maybe it's a ear, maybe it's a hairline, right? And you say, ah, oh, you got that Vasquez look in you, right? Right? Whatever the case may be, maybe it's a smile, maybe it's an accent, maybe it's the way you walk. The way people can tell that we are a part of the family of Christ is by the love that we have for one another. And if we don't have the love of God, we're not going to be, we're not gonna be able to forgive. And if we are not forgiving others, we can say, you don't have the love of Christ. Because Christ forgives us while we are still enemies. He's died for our sins. We are to love our neighbors as ourselves. We can think of Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. It tells us, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Any of you need a little bit of mercy here tonight? I need a lot of mercy. So if I know I need a lot of mercy, what should I be doing? Dumping mercy out everywhere I can. Because I need it. Someone's asking me to to merge in the lane in front of me, go ahead. All the mercy in the world, right? Someone messed up, someone asked for forgiveness, I forgive you because I need that mercy. Here's another scripture Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. Here's a scary one Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. This is at the end of Jesus' model prayer, the Lord's Prayer that many people would call it, right? Right after it, Jesus says in verse 14, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. How much forgiveness do you need in the eyes of an all-knowing God? A whole lot of forgiveness. And I'm going to receive that same amount of forgiveness to the amount that I dish out and I give to others. One of my favorite verses is Luke chapter 7, verse 47. Jesus says, Therefore I say to you, her sins which are many are forgiven For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. You see, oftentimes we're not like the prodigal son. Oftentimes we're like the prodigal's older brother. And we believe that even though people are coming back seeking restoration and the forgiveness of God, we believe they need to pay a bit more before they can receive that restoration and forgiveness. And yet Jesus paid it all on the cross. If someone has asked for forgiveness of their sins, there's nothing more to be paid. There's going to be consequences of our sins, but there's no more payment required. It's already been paid for. But if we realize how much we have been forgiven, we're going to love much. We're going to forgive others much. We're going to have humility. We're going to have a small view of ourselves if we realize just how much grace God has poured out on our lives. And if we realize how much grace God has poured out on our lives, then we're going to be quicker to pour out that same grace to someone else. And it all begins by someone pouring out that grace of God into our lives. We all have that person that has forgiven us even though we completely blew it. Even though we made that mistake. Even though we we responded to our wife with the wrong answer when she asked us, how does this dress look, right? Then she forgives you afterwards. That you gotta extend that grace. You gotta extend that forgiveness. Chuck Smith, right? We read it earlier. We believe that having been forgiven, we need to be forgiving. We believe that having received mercy, we should be showing mercy. We believe in having received grace, we need to be graceful. Showing and extending God's grace is an important part of the Calvary Chapel ministry. There's a book called Harvest, and it goes over the life of many of the founding pastors of You Would in the Calvary Chapel movement. And most of them are all druggies or drunkards or literally lunatics, right? And then God forgives them, someone took a chance on them, and God does mighty work in their lives. Because our God is a God of restoration. Let's turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. We have this famous portion of scripture of the woman caught in adultery. And if a woman is caught in the literal act of adultery, there must be a man there as well, but the man's not taken to court or brought to the feet of Jesus either. We also know that these Pharisees must have been planning this process to trap Jesus and they're just using this poor woman as a pawn in their game. In John chapter 8, these Pharisees trying to catch Jesus, trying to pin Jesus against the law of Moses. In John chapter 8 verse 5 it says now moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned but what do you say this they said testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him but jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear so when they continued asking him he raised himself up and he said to him he who is without sin among you let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the mist. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now, it requires genuine repentance to then receive grace. We need truth and grace. We need both ends of it. We can't just say grace, grace, grace. That's just sloppiness, right? What does Jesus tell the woman? Your sins are forgiven, but go and sin no more. I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. You could think of Jesus when he was eating with Matthew the tax collector and the Pharisees are annoyed with him, right? Who's this man eating with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus says, I've come Because just like a hospital is not for the healthy, a hospital is for the sick. So I'm here to heal the sick. I'm here to sit down and eat with sinners. Jesus did not say they're born this way. Jesus did not say it's okay what they're doing. Jesus didn't say, hey, it's okay, it's not a problem, it's all love, and the end love wins. No, Jesus said they're a bunch of sickos and sinners. And that's exactly who I've come for. That's what Jesus says. When you look in the mirror, you should remember, hey, there's that sickle. There's that sinner again. Because I needed that great physician. I don't know about you guys. I needed that great physician. I needed him to die for my sins because I couldn't pay for my sins. There's no way I could do it. So Jesus speaks the truth. He doesn't tell her, hey, go, no harm, no foul. No, he tells her, I'm not condemning you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus, he speaks to the crowd once again, and he says, He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. If we are truly following Jesus Christ, even though we've sinned, even though we mess up, if we look for that forgiveness and look for that restoration, we're going to continually be walking in the light and not in darkness. It's the mindset of a police officer versus a paramedic. And when sin happens, when there's a situation that requires a response, what does our heart look like? Right? There's a crime scene, there's an accident, and people are hurt, and you have an ambulance arrive, and you have police officers arrive. The ambulance is there, and the only thing they care about is tending to those who are sick, tending those who are needy, tending to those who are bleeding and hurt tending to them to just make sure they are alive until they can get them to the hospital. Is that the mindset of the police officer? The police officer is there to find out who is guilty. Who's guilty? Who needs to go to jail? What laws have been broken? What infractions have happened? Who is the guilty party in this situation? And how do we respond when we have that 911 call? Are we that police officer that we're putting people in corners, they're broken, they're bleeding out, and yet we're trying to figure out, hey, whose story is right here? Which sin has been committed here? What's the true justice that needs to be served here? Or are we like that paramedic saying, hey, that's between you and the judge. That's between you and the judge. I'm just here to make sure that you stay alive. That's the only thing I'm here for, to make sure you don't die on my watch. That's our call as believers to forgive others, to be there to make sure they are staying alive. Staying alive, staying alive, right? That's our call as believers. We're not there to declare people guilty. That's up to them when they find and meet with Jesus Christ. But our role is, especially if a brother or sister is coming to us and seeking restoration and seeking forgiveness, no matter the sin We forgive them and restore them. Restoration looks differently, just like restoration looks differently for many men in Scripture. And our God is a God of restoration, a God of both grace and truth. That's why we have examples like David. Did David sin and fall short of the glory of God? Was he thrown out of the castle? Was he thrown out of the kingdom? Was he thrown off his throne? No, not at all. Did he suffer severe consequences for his sins? Absolutely. How about Elijah? One moment he's raining fire down from heaven, the next moment he's running for his life, going through severe depression in a cave all by himself. Does God throw him off of being the prophet? I'm ripping that prophet badge off of you, right? Prophet no longer, power no longer. No, he says angels to tend to Elijah. How about Peter, right? We can all get along with Peter. Peter, he struck, he, Peter, he's the first one that has faith to walk on the water. Then he begins to drown. Jesus picks him up. Jesus doesn't, while Peter's drowning, tell him, what happened to you, O oh, ye of little faith? That wasn't the time for that. At that moment, Jesus picks him up, gets him safely back in the boat, and then he tells him, man, O oh, ye of little faith, what's going on with you? How about John Mark? There's a moment where he's not doing well in ministry, Paul says, hey, I can't do ministry with you. But then later on, Paul says, hey, bring me John Mark. Our God restores men in ministry, men in power, men that are prophets and kings and disciples. And though they sin and fall short, God still restores them. However, it always requires true repentance. Again, there's only one way to deal with sin, and it's by repenting and bringing it out into the light to be washed under the blood of Jesus Christ. The problem is oftentimes we try to deal with our sins in different ways. We try to hide it. We try to say time heals all things. Big lie. We try to pay for our sins in other ways. Only Jesus can pay for our sins, and he already has. True restoration requires true repentance. Chuck Smith, he says, I do believe that before restoration, there must be true repentance. I believe that the law was intended as a schoolmaster to bring people to Jesus Christ. Those who have not come and repented need the law. Thus, there is a place for the law. We should always seek restoration, but let us not forget that repentance is necessary. Our problem is that we are prone to go to one extreme or another, depending on who the guilty party is. If it's someone we like, if it's our friend, oh, grace, 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 right? If it's someone we don't like, someone from the other side of town, someone that voted for the other guy, right? Law, 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 right? Judgment, judgment, judgment. That's what they go. That's what they need. But we shouldn't take ya as a huge surprise. The church in Corinth struggled with those same pendulum extremes. One moment, Corinth was proud of the grace that they were extending, allowing people to be in church and worship in church who everyone knew was in constant sin and yet claiming that they were sons or daughters of God. They deal with this situation, and then the next moment, they're not allowing that person back in church even though they are truly repentant. Same with us, right? One moment, we don't want to allow someone in church We want them to pay for their trespasses. Someone looks a little bit different. They have different tattoos, different piercings. And we say, I don't know if they're allowed in the church, right? They don't really look like church material. I don't know if they should come in here or not. What extreme are we in? Then to our own kids, if we're honest, right? It's grace, grace, grace. They could do no wrong, right? God paid it all. Just let them just, just, just say yes. Just give them ice cream. That's what they need, right? We're prone from one extreme to the other. Matthew 18 is again another scary verse here for us. We can turn to Matthew 18. Especially if you're honest with yourself and you're in the business that even if someone asks for forgiveness, you seek to pull some other payment out of them. Even though Jesus has already died for our sins, you seek to pull some other payment out of them. Matthew chapter 18. He's always listening. It's on Do Not Disturb. I don't even know how. That Matthew eighteen. We'll read verse twenty-one. Peter came to him and said, "Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him?" Peter's trying to be very spiritual. Lord, seven times, right? They do the same thing to me, and I forgive them up to seven times. Verse 22, Jesus said to them, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servant. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife, and children, and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But then that servant, he went out and found one of his fellows who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also Will do to each to do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Is there someone here tonight that you have not forgiven? Again, scary portion of scripture. Is there someone they say, I, I just can't forgive them no matter what? Is not, has Christ not shown you pity? Has he not had compassion on you? Has he not forgiven you? Has he not shown you mercy and grace and restored to your life what the locusts have eaten? How dare we grab someone else by the throat and say, no, you have to pay me. Jesus has paid it. He paid it on the cross. If there's true repentance there, forgiveness is what's due. Forgiveness is what needs to happen. And when someone is genuinely repentant, that is not the time to read them the law and give them the speech on how the wages of sin is death. That's not the time for that. And we need to be like those in Galatians 6 who are spiritually mature to be able to have that gift of discernment to realize, Lord, is this true repentance or not? Then we also have to be filled with the Spirit to say, Lord, how does restoration look for this person's life? But we need to be filled with the Spirit because if someone is genuinely repentant, it's not the time to hit them with the law. It's not the time to be the police officer. It's time to show them grace and mercy and restoration. It reminds me of one of the times that Amanda was in labor. She was in labor with our second child, Ella, and this certain scenario happened. It wasn't our first rodeo. She had been in the delivery room with her sister when her nephew and niece were born, and she had gone through labor with our firstborn child, Levi. And both her and her sisters—both her and her sister—deal with the unfortunate nausea through their pregnancies and even during labor. There's this miracle drug we've all come to find out, which is called Zofran. Right? That one moment you're nauseous, and the next moment it's just magic. It's all gone. So with Ella, Amanda's going through her labor, pain, the normal things in in labor. Then nausea kicks in. She's asking for the medicine, asking for help. And all of a sudden, a certain nurse comes in the room. And she starts going off like she's reading off of WebMD. She starts saying, now, ma'am, vomiting during labor is common in some women. In most cases, it happens without warning. Studies confirm that throwing up is very common experience. It happens to 70 and 80% of all women, and it's because of this, that, and the third. And she starts reading the encyclopedia of why she is feeling nauseous. <laughs> How do you think this nurse's great wisdom and insight into the reasons and laws of nature that cause nausea during childbirth was received, right? How do you think that was received? It was not the time for that. And in the same way, oftentimes our pride and heart of legalism gets in the way when it's time to forgive and restore someone. We want to start hitting them with the law. This is sin. This is forgiveness. This is restoration. This is this. This is that. And this is the third. And we need to be mindful of the heart of Christ. Matthew twelve twenty quotes from a prophecy in Isaiah 42, verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. So when someone is hurting, when someone is just coming out of their sin, they're brave enough, right, to bring their sin out into the light and ask for forgiveness. This is not the time to now hit them with the word and the law and all the wages of their sins. Because he does not break that Bruce Reed, he does not quench that smoking flax, but he tries to heal it. He tries to bring the fire back out of it. Now, is there risk involved in forgiving someone? Absolutely. Just like there's risk when you love someone. right? That, that great quote, if, if you don't want to love anyone, just put your heart in a coffin and leave it there. Because you're going to get hurt. Chuck Smith, he talks about how there were times when he forgave someone and showed them grace and their repentance was not genuine. Should he now have become hard-hearted? No, he says, I'm not perfect. I've made mistakes in judgment and I've showed grace to those who have not truly repented of their evil. I've taken chances. I've brought fellows on staff who had supposedly repented and later on those same traits were still there. I've erred. And probably will make more mistakes in the future. But I will tell you of this, if I'm going to err, I want to err on the side of grace rather than the side of judgment. What side do you err on? Are you going to err on the side of grace? or Are you going to err on the side of judgment? We could turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and hopefully this will answer what side we need to err on. First Corinthians chapter 13. Verse 1 tells us, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I've become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. We jump down to verse 4. It tells us, Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. There's no doubt that we need to love the truth, but we also need to have the love of God on active display in our lives. Does your love, does your mind constantly think evil and the worst of someone else? Or do you have the mindset of Christ that you believe all things and you hope all things? I know we've all been hurt. I know this is a sinful world and an evil world. But if we are sons and daughters of God, then we need to look like sons and daughters of God. And we should not always be assuming the worst in other Christians and in other people. Love thinks no evil. That means love does not store up the memory of any wrong it has received. How many marriages would be healed and whole if just the two parties would be willing to forgive and truly forget? Just as God does the same for us, He chooses to forget our sins and remember His mercy. The love of God causes us to look at the actions of others in hope and not in evil. And this is what's needed to show grace to someone else. Charles Spurgeon, he says, Love, as far as she can, believes in her fellows. I know some persons who habitually believe everything that is bad, but they are not children of love. I wish the chatterers would take a turn at exaggerating other people's virtues and go from house to house trumping up petty stories Of their acquaintances. Again, if we really lived with this 1 Corinthians chapter 13 love, there would be zero gossip in the church because love hopes all things. Love thinks no evil. The love of God chooses to remember his mercy, and when God remembers his mercy, he forgets our sins. That's from a teaching this morning from David Guzik. If we want to receive mercy, we need to extend that same mercy of God. Does your love look like 1 Corinthians 13? Does your love look like the love of God? Right. Doesn't it hurt when you do an act, when you show an act of love for someone and they think you're doing it with some other motive behind it? It hurts. That's tough. So how much more should we think no evil? and believe all things, and hope all things, and endure all things. Because that's the love that Christ has extended to us. Finally, grace upon grace is not just for people who have sinned and fallen short and now have truly repented, but grace upon grace is also the mindset on how we are to handle non-essential polarizing issues within the church. And have we ever lived in a time that people are more polarized? Everybody, you have to fit in one camp or the other. You can't be in some middle ground. You can't believe both things, right? You can't believe a certain measure of each. Everyone wants to push people into one box or another. And for us, there's more than enough biblical content that true disciples of Jesus Christ all believe on that offends people. If you believe that sin is sin, if you believe that marriage is between one man and one woman, that you, if you believe Jesus is the only way to heaven and that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, you're already going to offend and trigger lots of people, right? Lots of people are already going to be mad on that. If you believe a boy is a boy and a girl is a girl and that can't change, you're going to already trigger a certain amount of Americans, right? So why should we be seeking to offend even more people? Why should we be seeking to offend other believers that you're going to be in heaven with for the rest of your life? Again, God, He has a sense of humor. Maybe He's going to put you in heaven next to all the people you disagreed with, right? Maybe that's what He's going to do in heaven. We should not be seeking to make converts of people who are already converted. Let me say that again. We should not be seeking to make converts of people who are already converted. If you can sit back and detach from the situation and say, okay, do they truly believe Jesus is the only way to heaven? Do they believe in the true Jesus, right? Virgin birth, perfect, perfect man, perfect uh, God. Do they believe in all these things that Jesus died, he resurrected, he paid for our sins. If they believe in all these essential things, the Trinity, the Bible, all these, if they believe in the essential things, why do I need to convert them to my political belief system. Why do I have to convert them to my belief on the rapture or my belief on prophecy or my belief in heaven or my belief on these little minor things? Go out and find a heathen and get them saved. Try to convert them. So, in this church, right, in Calvary Chapel, we will major on the majors, but we will be gracious on these non essential issues of our faith instead of planting a flag only to divide believers. Uh, That's not our mindset. At the end of the day, we're all on the same team. The kingdom of God is not just Calvary Chapelites. It's not only Calvary Chapelites. Only people in Calvary Chapel will inherit the kingdom of God. That's not the case. Right, we were just listening to a story how a pastor was called to a hospital when a husband and wife were dealing with a stillbirth child. Baby was born. Without a heartbeat, baby was born dead, and the mom was unable to let go of the baby. When he went and he talked to her, she said they were hardcore Catholics, and they said the baby needs to be baptized. Now, do we at Calvary Chapel believe in infant baptism? Not at all. But that's not the moment to try to convert a convert or maybe not even a convert. That's not the time to do that. So he went through and he baptized that little baby and then he was able to give it to the nurses so that they can handle the process and begin that grieving process with the family. We're not going to major on these minor things. There's a whole world out there of people destined for hell and headed to hell. Why should we be arguing with another believer on some stupid hobby horse? Let go of those things. Be gracious with those things. Let's be the type of people who side on the side of grace because we need a whole lot of grace, right? We need both the truth and the grace. We're not to be sloppy. We're not to just allow sin to run rampant in our lives or in our homes or in our churches. But let's be hopeful and gracious to those who show genuine repentance. If Jesus allowed Judas to rub shoulders with him for three years... If Jesus allowed Judas to rob from their treasury for three years, we shouldn't be so paranoid that someone's going to stab us in the back, or that someone's not genuinely repentant. If that's how Jesus handled things, how much more should we? So let us be the type of people who side on the side of grace. Truth and grace, and may we be those who are gracious to those who are genuinely repentant. Two big reasons why. Number one, because we are the people who have received lots of grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And if we've received much mercy, if we've received lots of grace, and if we have been forgiven, who in the world are we to not extend that same measure of grace, mercy, and forgiveness? The second reason why we should be those who tend to grace or err on grace and we give grace upon grace is because we are the people who need a lot more grace and need a lot more mercy and need a lot more forgiveness. And if we need it, and if we've received it, may we be the same people who are constantly giving it out. Again, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Therefore I say to you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Are you Jesus that's looking to forgive people? Say, hey, I don't condemn you. Just go and sin no more. The, the, the back end of your life, whatever led you to be here today, hey, I'm not here to condemn you. You get right with Jesus. You repent. But from here on out, go and sin no more. That, that should be our mindset. So it's just grace upon grace. Why? Because I need a lot of grace, right? That, that's our mindset here. So worship team, if you can come up and we'll pray and we'll close in some worship. So Lord, we love you, God. And we thank you that you are a God of grace, Lord. That each of us, we deserve judgment, Lord. Each of us deserve your wrath, Lord. Each of us deserve hell for all of eternity. And Lord, not only do you forgive us, Lord, but you've saved us, you've chosen us. Lord, you don't just leave us as slaves, God, but you adopt us and you bring us into the family of God. How we're sons and daughters and you don't just leave us there, Lord, but then we become heirs to your throne. How each of us will be judging over angels in the life to come, Lord. Thank you for your grace. And Lord, I think many of us were honest here this evening, Lord, saying, Lord, forgive me for not extending that same grace, Lord. Lord, forgive me for not forgiving that person. Lord, forgive me for not being more merciful, for not being more kind, for not being more gracious, Lord. Lord, would you forgive us tonight, Lord? Lord, help us to be like you, Lord, looking for those who are hurting, Lord, having compassion on the crowds, hearing those that are crying out for mercy and extending that love and mercy, Lord. Lord, continue to conform us to your image, Lord, and God, help us to truly hope all things, God. When we see different things going on, different spiritual things going on, Lord, help us to not be so cynical and so hard-hearted, Lord. Help us to hope and have belief and to pray, God. So Lord, be here with us tonight, Lord. Soften our heart and hearts, Lord. Each of us, we go through seasons when we're the prodigal's big brother, Lord. Looking for more pain, looking for more payment, thinking they're not deserving of the same restoration that we've received, Lord. Lord, would you forgive us tonight, God? We just love you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray, amen.